We are going to be in God's Word today. We're going to be in Matthew 16. We're also going to be in Acts. We're going to be in 1 Peter. So be ready to turn to these different places. And we're going to start with Matthew 16. And I have been thinking on this for a while. I have been listening to things. I have been reading. And there is a book that I saw at my favorite bookstore, Christian Truth or Scripture Truth, Scripture Truth bookstore down in Fincastle. And they had this book sitting upright where I could see it very unfair, but it caught my attention, and the title of it was called, or is called, Already Gone. Now, the author I have differences with, but I looked at what the book was about, and I I said, you know, I'm going to get this, because I am very interested in this topic. Already Gone. Got a picture of a young lady middle school age probably, sitting there in a pew with this look on her face like she has no interest whatsoever being in a church building. Well, over the past several years, and I mean several years, I mean this this book was probably, I think it was written in 2009, so it's been out a while. But I have noticed because I have been in churches pretty much from the time I was small, as far as not consistently when I was younger, but by the time I met my wife and church was important to her, I started going to church more often. And, you know, I was one of those teenagers that didn't see the relevance of church. I had seen my friends who went to youth, and I watched how they all fell away how they just did it because it was something fun to do. They went to youth programs and things like that. And I watched how most of them, and I mean almost all of them, fell away. I can think of one who is a pastor at a very successful uh, Baptist church on the other side of Salem. I believe it's Green Ridge Baptist Church. Uh, Pastor Moser, and I uh, know of one other who probably would have went on and done great things for God, but who tragically died, um, drowned in the New River when he was in college at Radford. But thinking about all the other people that was in the programs, the youth programs, I watched so many of them fall away. So. What I'm getting at is, why are people, young people, so willing to leave? So this book was about, so the author is Ken Ham. And you should know Ken Ham because he's the one that did the Creation Museum. And he's got the very popular uh, Answers in Genesis uh, books and things like that. Now... I do not see eye-to-eye with Ken on the creation story. And if you, if you want to know how I think about it and how many other people th- 
think about it, as far as pastors and church uh, or, or Bible teachers from years gone by, there's plenty out there from going way back that have the same view that I do. Now, if you want to know what my view is, I feel like I taught it very well, and that would be at the beginning, beginning of this year, and basically what started the podcast. What got it, the message of creation that I presented out of the Bible really stirred some people up to a point where they really wanted this, that message to be heard, and that's, that's where, where we've been this whole year leading up to now. Ken Ham's book, Already Gone, has a, uh, a person named Britt Beamer who is a kind of like a George Barna type where he goes out and surveys. Now, what they tried to do is find a certain number of young people in their 20s that had gone to church almost every Sunday when they were growing up and start asking them questions and finding out because, and all these people that they were interviewing, thousands upon thousands, to finally get 1,000 that they could actually do the interviews with. Now, these all had to meet certain criteria. Now, the 1,000 that were left, they don't go to church anymore on a regular basis. About half of them go on Christmas and Easter. The other half do not go at all ever. That's what they found out, and that's who they were interviewing. They were trying to figure out what caused you to exit the church. What they found out is these kids, are, they're, they're already gone in their hearts in elementary, middle school, and high school. So all those years we've been blaming it on the colleges and the universities for messing up our kids. Well, they were already gone well before they ever got to college. That's just when they became independent and can make the decision to go on their own. It had already been done in the early years. The damage had already been done in the early years. So I'm thinking, oh, also the criteria had to be, it had to be a, what we would consider a conservative church that all these kids went to. It, it, they, did, they threw out the ones that were obviously uh, more liberal. They wanted to get a group of people who went to biblically-based churches, more conservative, that went regularly, but now they do not go, and why? What they found out amongst these 1,020-somethings was that the ones who went to Sunday school on a regular basis were worse off than the ones who didn't. Does that make sense? You wouldn't think that, right? But the kids that went to, they came to church every Sunday, but not only did they come to church every Sunday, but they went to Sunday school. And they found out that the ones who went to Sunday school were worse than the ones who didn't go to Sunday school. We, and I've seen it, churches tend to think that these little kids are, you know, just not old enough, they don't know enough, and just put them, at, get them out of here because they might disrupt the service, and let's put them back in Sunday school classes, and then they try to find people who can work the Sunday school classes, and they may not be believers of the Bible. 
they just need somebody to go back there and they might give them some curriculum to use and they just do what they do. But what we have found out over time is that teachers in schools who have these kids all week long, we have found out that a lot of teachers have very ungodly principles and they push that off on the kids whether they know they're doing it or not. And sadly, there are many people who go to church that really don't believe the Bible. They say some of the right things to be churchy, but they really, truly don't believe that we have the Word of God and that is pushed off onto the kids in Sunday school classes. That's what has happened across America. We don't even have a Sunday school class here for kids. I haven't seen one in many, many years here. I haven't ever seen one here, really. But y'all have. Some of you people have seen Sunday school classes in the past. And you know that some of the teachers were not, as, by what they have turned out to be, they're no longer in churches anymore. We've got very few that are still around, that still have a heart for God. Because I'm, I'm not saying that Sunday school was bad for everybody. There's some great Sunday school teachers out there. But what they found is it was detrimental to the kid staying in church when they got older. What, what has happened is, and I saw it when I was a teenager, it was all about trying to make it fun and exciting to get the kids to show up. And it was all about entertainment and bragging about how many kids came to youth. But did they ever really get anything that would change their hearts? It is very important that parents take on that role of making God real and the scriptures perfect and unerring, that you have confidence that the Word of God is the Word of God and you bring your kids up into that. And even if you do everything right, you're still going to have failures in the world that we live in today, especially here in this country. That book starts out with Ken Ham going to, going to England, and he was going around to all the magnificent churches in England that were now a nightclub or is now a very fancy restaurant. Now, it's an actual workout facility, a fitness center. All these beautiful churches have been either demolished and something has been rebuilt there, or because the structure was so beautiful and so magnificently designed, architecture is so awesome that you can't tear it down, but let's just make it into something else to work, because it's empty. I think it's Westminster Abbey. It's like the, it's a, still a church, but only a few pews are filled on the front rows on ch during church service. Just There's hardly anybody ever goes to it anymore. And he said that that has happened throughout Europe. And he's from Australia, and he's seen all these things, and now he's in America, has lived here for many years now, and he sees the same thing happening here that he saw in England many years ago. We're headed down the same road in America. It's like you have to go to China, Africa, 
some of these places where people are refugees fleeing war-torn areas, trying to get away from Muslim countries. You've got to go to those places to find people who are turning to Jesus, that are looking for Jesus and true Christianity. That's where you've got to go. You don't see it much here in America anymore. There are people who are coming from other countries, coming to America because they see the spiritual need in America. Because we're falling away. As a nation, we are quickly falling away. The answer is not making church exciting and entertaining for kids to come. That's not the answer. You might get more people in for a while, but is, is it really going to fix the true issue that we're dealing with? Ken Ham will blame it on, and, I, and when I saw him being the author, I said, I sure hope he doesn't go where I think he's going to go with this, and he did. But all of the stats that they, that they got together, that's all true. It's all right. Now, the approach of trying to fix it it's going to be a little different between the way he thinks and the way I think. I haven't been to all the big mega churches that he spoke at. I'm just a nobody. He's something great in the eyes of a lot of people. How old the earth is, does that really matter? Does it really matter? The Bible, and you can go back to the preaching I did on creation at the beginning of the year, there is nowhere in the Bible that actually tells us how old the earth is. Now, I totally agree that when you go back, follow mankind back to Adam and Eve, that was about 7,000 years ago. God fixed an earth that was obviously in catastrophe. God does not create anything that's not perfect. But when we open up our Bibles at the very beginning, the earth is in a state of darkness and completely flooded with water. That's what we see when we open up our Bibles. That's what we see. And then God fixes all of it. So it's a picture of each and every one of us when we come into this world. We are darkened, and of no use, and then God works on us to make us into something great, right? We are, we are so lost and in darkness, just like the earth was when we opened up our Bibles. Now, I really didn't want to get into trying to back up what I've said. You can go back and listen to the creation messages. It takes care of dinosaurs. It takes care of however old, however old you want the earth to be. It doesn't matter. But when God showed up and took care of what that problem was, and then he made man, that, all the trees you see, all the animals you see now, are from that 7,000 years ago. Okay? I have no problem with that at all. That's biblical. But the prehistoric animals and the fossils and the things... He, he, he'll keep saying that that's from the flood of Noah. Well, when we opened up our Bibles, there was, the earth was completely flooded, and it was completely flooded in the days of Noah. Okay? 
It was. Now, over in Greece right now, the guys on the Unashamed podcast had a guy come in. Now, Jace has been over there. He's ministered to those Muslim people through a translator. And many of those Muslim people that are in Greece now because they're fleeing all of the other countries because of... You, you see, you've seen war in Syria. You've seen uh, Christians being killed in these countries. And these, there, so there's a lot of stuff going on. You can see right now in Ukraine where there's refugees all over the place in Europe because of what's going on there. So they go over there and they're ministering to these refugees that are from the Muslim nations. They know all about Islam. They know about Jesus. They've read about Him. They know that He was a person who walked on this earth. They know all kinds of stuff about Abraham. They know the Old Testament really well. But the one thing they need to know, are they, are they going, how old is the earth? Not all they need to know is, is Jesus really God in the flesh? That's all they need to know, and they're becoming Christians because they're going over there and they're proving the deity of Jesus Christ, and they are becoming true Christians for that one thing. They already know about the man Jesus. Matthew 16, starting with verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah. And then there's some who say that you're just one of the prophets. Now, all of those people that they say he is are awesome people. Jesus said there was no one born among women better than John the Baptist. Think about the heart that Jeremiah had for the nation of Israel. Now, how he wept over them. Think about Elijah and all the amazing miracles that he did. So if somebody compared you to John the Baptist or to Elijah, I mean, you'd get the big head. You'd think, wow, I am something else. But if you put Jesus on the same plane as men, you've really messed up. He is so much better than John the Baptist or Jeremiah or Elijah or any of the other prophets that brought the very Word of God to the people. If you put Jesus on the same plane as any other man, you're lost. You are lost. So who would you say that other people say who Jesus is? Well, the more important question is what Jesus asked next. He said to them, But whom say ye that I am? So the, the more important question is, Who do you 
say that Jesus is. It comes down to each and every person understanding who Jesus is. Who do you say that he is? And Simon Peter, you know, he's, he has said a lot of bad things. He's, he's messed up a lot. He, I like Simon Peter. M- reminds me of myself. You know, I can mess up too. But Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, Jesus was crucified because he made that claim. That's why he died on the cross, because he said he was equal with God. And Peter sees it. Now, over in John chapter 6, starting with verse 67, this is, this is uh, something that Peter says, Jesus, Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Jesus had just talked to all of these people who were following him, and he has said that you would have to eat my flesh, and you have to drink my blood, and they all got offended, and they all, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people left. And Jesus looked at his 12 disciples and said, Will ye also go away? And what did Simon Peter say? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you believe that? Anyone listening to this, do you believe what Peter said about who the Son of Man was and is? He is the Christ, and He is the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now is that saying that Jesus built the church on Peter? He said, he, after Peter said those amazing words, Jesus said that he was blessed, And he said that flesh and blood, that means you didn't come up with this on your own because you're pitiful and you would never think of this on your own, but God has made a way to show you that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior. You have figured it out because God cared enough about you to show you that. God, through the Holy Spirit, has worked on every one of us. And we either see it or we don't, or we accept it or we we reject it. Now what he says is, Thou art Peter, which means a stone, a small stone. But it's what Peter said is what he can build his church on, building on the true rock, which is Jesus. If our foundation 
this church, if our foundation is not Jesus, it's not worth having. Jesus must be the rock foundation of the church that he builds. And if that's the case, and we can say like Peter said, that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Son of God, Jesus is God in the flesh. If we say that and we build our faith on that, then the gates of hell can't prevail against it. We're good. In verse 20, Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Does that mean we're not supposed to go tell anybody about Jesus? It's right here in the Bible. You know, I could, I could say, oh, here, let me share something with you. We're not supposed to go out and tell anybody about Jesus. Don't tell him that he's the Christ. It's in the Bible. Well, that would be ridiculous, right? Well, we're in a transition period. You, several, several weeks ago now, we, we went through Matthew 13, most of it. I don't think I ever finished it. But 13 is that transitional period. All those seven parables, the mystery parables, is showing us that up until now, Jesus was being introduced by John the Baptist. He's the one who came, is going to set up an earthly kingdom. He's going to sit on the throne of David. You need to accept him. You need to go down to see John. John's going to show you him. And they are about ready, they're ready to kill the king. Okay? So now Jesus, that he's got to this point where did you notice that in 18 it says, Upon this rock I will build my church. We've got four Gospels. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That word church, how many times is it in the Gospel of John? Zero. How, how many times is it in the Gospel of Luke? The, the word church... Zero. How many times is it in the book of Mark? In Matthew, how many times is it in Matthew? A couple. Right here in, in uh, chapter 16 and over in, in uh, chapter 18. And I think in 18 it might say it twice, but it's, it's the same verse, but pretty much. Why is it that in the four Gospels you have two times, and only in Matthew... If it were me guessing, if somebody asked me all that a week ago, would have asked me how many times is the word church in the Gospel of Luke, I would have guessed that it would be in one of the other Gospels and probably not in Matthew because Matthew is so Jewish. But this is a transition point. This is Jesus showing all these people that He is setting aside Israel for a time and he is going to start up a new dispensation, the dispensation of grace, and those people who are in that church is the people that God had rejected in the past, but now he's made it all available to them. The church age is what we've been living in for 2,000 years now. But in all the Gospels, you don't see the word church but a couple times. And in the one gospel that you wouldn't think it'd be there. But that's why I was telling you a while back that if you must understand the book of Matthew, 
It is transitional. It is so important to get it so that you'll understand the rest of the New Testament. That's why it starts the New Testament. Matthew. Understanding Genesis is critical to understanding the rest of the Bible. That's why Ken Ham is so into trying to get people away from evolution. He does it so much to the other extreme that I think he messes up. But he does know that evolution and all this scientific stuff is ruining people, and he doesn't like it, and he's trying to fight it. Unfortunately, what we do as people is we go to the other extreme trying to fix the, the mess-ups of another. You have one parent who is doing something wrong. The other parent may go to the other extreme to try to fix it, and it causes more problems. I think that's what has happened with the whole creation thing. Now, Peter... People will say that Peter is the rock. The rest, as you read through the rest of the New Testament, you will see places where Peter has said that he is definitely not the rock that Christ is going to build his church on. He uh, totally gets rid of that mindset because he knows that he is just a person who, you know, each and every one of us can be a lively stone. Each and every one of us should become born again and start living a life that looks like Jesus. We should do that. And we should be uh, ministering to those in the way we speak, the way we live our life, and all those other things. We, we should be lively stones. And when each individual one of us come into a place like this, we should be a very loving church that cares for the lost souls of those people around us. That's what we should be. But we, no person is a rock that Jesus is building his church on. No person. We're just parts of the body. Okay? Now in if you follow this story a little further, you don't go far at all. And Jesus starts to tell them how he was going to have to go to Jerusalem, how he was going to have to suffer under the religious leaders, how he was going to be crucified and put to death and then raised by God. And Peter, the very Peter, who said... You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Peter said, oh no, you are not going to go through that. Peter rebukes Jesus and says, no, 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 you're not going through any of that. And what does Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter, what we just read about Peter, he's up here. Jesus is like, awesome, you're amazing. And then... then, That very, so I don't care how great a pastor might be, how awesome, how much schooling, whatever, if that pastor in any way diminishes 
Jesus going to the cross and shedding His blood, then Jesus would call Him Satan. That is the message of Satan. So it don't matter how good a person becomes and how much we can lift them up and say, look, oh, he had it figured out. You can't get but four or five more verses past this, and it's showing where any man could seriously mess it up. And you've got to be so careful about listening to men. You must go to the Word of God yourself and see it, read it, get it into you. The Word. And if, you, if I say anything wrong, if you disagree with me on what I just said about creation, you come to me and talk to me about it. Show me in the Bible where I'm wrong. I'm willing to listen. Because I don't think I have it all figured out. But I do get encouraged by what I see in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have healed a lame man in chapter 3, and now they're being questioned in chapter 4. They have been held overnight in jail because of what they did by the temple, the captain of the temple, the, the priests, the Sadducees. Now, the, the Sadducees, they did not like the whole thing about resurrection. They, they were against it. They didn't believe in it. And these guys are preaching, and people are becoming uh, healed. Now, after they had held them overnight, verse 5 of uh, Acts chapter 4, And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, that's a different John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doeth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in, in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now we got a lot of men who've gone to the greatest Bible college and seminaries that walk away from them doubting the Word of God. Now, I think that is one of the biggest things that we should be concerned about. And you've heard me many occasions show where 
different versions of the Bible, they're, they say it a little differently or it's just plain missing. And that will cause concern that do I really have the Word of God? The devil attacks the Word of God right away. You can go to Genesis 3 and see that he is attacking, causing doubt with the Word of God. We need to be a people who know that we do have the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with it. I have my, my preference on what I preach out of. I think it's the perfect Word of God. I have other Christian people and pastors who say, well, it's, this is messed up, that's messed up. I always have an answer for them, and then they don't want to talk about it anymore. It's never failed. I, will, I welcome anyone to come to me and to show me where, where my King James Bible is off. Come do it. I am, a, I am an unlearned, unlearned and ignorant man. But so is Peter and John. And I will speak the word of God. I will claim the name of Jesus with boldness. No doubt about that. And I hope people realize that I get that boldness because I've been with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. and Father, we thank you for your word. Father, your word, it's not like the grass that withereth and the flower that fadeth. Father, you said your word would endure forever. And Father, we have confidence that we have your word in our Bibles. And Father, I pray that people would look to your word and believe it. But Father, I pray that we understand that you sent your Son to be that rock. And Father, I pray that our faith, our saving faith is built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would open up the minds, open up the eyes of the people who are rejecting the rock. That the stone, the cornerstone that was rejected and thrown away. Father, I pray that we would understand that if we don't accept the true cornerstone, that if we have rejected it, that we would fall over it into hell forever. Father, I pray that it won't be that rock of offense. It won't be the stumbling stone. Father, I pray that our eyes and hearts are opened and we will see Jesus for who He is perfectly. God at the right hand interceding for us. Father, Jesus came, was totally human and totally God at the same time. Father, I pray that we see the deity of Jesus and we could be like Peter and say that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.